Well, a very good morning to all of you. As you've heard, my name is Chris and uh, my wife Angela here. Uh, you can probably detect a slight accent. I am from Australia originally and uh, I've been here in England for 10 years um, and uh, we've been married for nine years, so our 10th anniversary next year. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to that. I, I wanted to just thank you all so very, very much. Um, it's really exciting to be here on a number of levels. Um, but firstly, I just want to tell you how blessed I was. And it is a blessing, isn't it, when you are with the sons and daughters of God, your true brothers and sisters, even though we're from different nations and countries and backgrounds, and yet it's the same spirit that has drawn us to him and opened our eyes to see truths that are true across all peoples and all times. And, uh, and so we have a kinship automatically. And I have to say that uh, sitting here at the front, hearing you guys sing with such zeal and power and conviction just really uplifted my spirit. So thank you so much. Uh, I thank the, uh, the, the heritage that we stand on, those ones that wrote those words uh, so many years ago, and yet they're truths eternal, aren't they? Because they spring from the word of God. I thank uh, the lady who played so wonderfully well as well. Thank you for doing that. So it's, it's already, I'm blessed to be here, and I hope that I can be a blessing to you. It's also a blessing to be here because uh, I'm a good friend of uh, Paul Pomeroy. I started my course at the London Seminary in Finchley, where my wife and I still reside, uh, by their good graces. Um, started with Paul two years ago. I began, I did my course full-time. He did his, of course, part-time, so he's still continuing, but I did mine full-time, so I did it in the, the two years. And I have to tell you, Paul, I'm so impressed with him. He's a young man with wisdom beyond his years. Um, and he has no guile. He's a very impressive fellow, and uh, you can see that the Lord has his hand on him. And I just feel, I always feel um, encouraged when you can see what God can do when he, he grabs hold of someone and uh, imparts and changes them, and uh, it's just exciting to see. And so to be in the place where he's been a part of for the last few years is a, is a real blessing. So... Uh, he, um, I'll just quote to you exactly what he said to me because uh, he, he wished me well this morning and I said to him, are there any greetings or words of wisdom or exhortation I can pass on from you? And he said, sure, pass on my continued love and prayerfulness for them. So that's good, isn't it? Let's just briefly pray before we launch in. Father, we've come here to this place to seek you, to receive your truths, to connect with the living God and to encourage one another as your people. Well, we haven't come to listen to a man, but we've come here to hear your words of encouragement, particularly in a time when things are in such a state of flux. As we were praying this morning already, that you... And your ways are always sure and steady. And uh, as Jesus talked about building the house on the rock, 
They can withstand all things. So, Lord, this morning I pray that for all these folks that are here, that you would meet with them. As they meet with you, that you would uh, give them the encouragement, give them the instruction, give them the guidance and receive our worship, Lord, this morning. Because it's in you that we trust. And we thank you for your grace and mercy. So, Lord, I pray that you would take uh, the scripture here by your Holy Spirit as we analyze it and uh, as I preach it, that you would impart it to the people, that they would be exhorted, illumined, and blessed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like you please to turn in your Bibles to uh, page... 1,212, or 1,212, to make it simple for us. I want to uh, just read out, <clears throat> read out the scripture that uh, has always been a bit of a, a key scripture for me. And it's 1 John chapter 4, reading from verse 14. Going down to verse 19. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Praise God for his words of truth. Now, I don't know if you knew, but today is Reformation Sunday. I gather it's a, I think it's a celebrated uh, probably more readily in the United States. Uh, but I think it's important that we are aware of history, church history and our heritage. Because we, we stand on the shoulders of giants uh, who have uh, been receivers of God's revelation, studiers of his word, and we can learn from them. It's not like we have to start afresh. We are learning based on the things that God has already done and learning from them and learning where we come from, where our tradition comes from, is actually very important. That we're not just Johnny-come-latelys in a sense. That there is something sure and solid, as we've already been praying about, that we stand upon. So today is actually Reformation Sunday. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard the story how just on about 505 years ago, on the 31st of October in the year of our Lord, 1517, that Martin Luther 
a German monk, nailed his 45 theses, or his points of debate, upon the church door at Wittenberg in Germany, the Wittenberg Castle. And this small act of protest to the distortions, as he saw it, of the Bible message started a chain of events that resulted in the Reformation, a reclaiming of the Bible as the ultimate authority of truth, which led to the recovery of the essentials of the gospel, and this, of course, changed the world. In fact, it led to us being here today in this very building together. Now, when I was reading about Martin Luther and his life, I realised something about Martin Luther's experience and the struggles that he had, which we can all relate to, even in our modern-day lives. And it's what today's passage deals with in 1 John 4, 14 to 19, because it involves a growing understanding of God's love in a very real and practical way, and it involves going from, a, from having deep-seated fears about God and your life to actually going to a deep personal peace and reassurance and a depth of relation with God in your life. Well, let me tell you the story. It begins when Luther was around 21 years of age and he found himself caught in a particularly severe electrical storm. And it was so wild that it got to the point where Luther actually feared for his very life and he was concerned that he was actually going to be struck by lightning almost as if the finger of God was pointing at him ready to judge him where he stood. He was terrified that if this happened, he would be in real trouble, that he would be sent to eternal punishment because he had been taught in his understanding that he did not merit entry into heaven because he knew he was a sinful man. He knew that he was far from perfect. So he famously cried out for mercy to God in the midst of the storm. He promised to devote his life to God as a monk if he could survive, if God would have mercy on him and let him survive this brush with death. Well, his life was spared, and so, yes, he did become a monk, famously so. The problem was that in becoming a monk and being well motivated, of course, this did not solve his problem because he was still afraid. He was afraid of God because he still felt guilty, knowing that he was still a sinful man. So Luther's life as a monk was actually one of significant anguish because no matter how hard he tried, no matter how many times he confessed, no matter how many hours he prayed, how many times he did Penance, he never felt righteous enough before a holy God. And so he continued to live in fear of God and of impending judgment. 
famously, his uh, overseers, oh no, here comes Martin Luther again for more confession. He would always come trying to seek, trying to get himself to be clean, but he could never obtain it. And so he continued to live in this fear. Now I suspect that we've all, all of us have experienced a little bit of that, of the struggles that Luther had at one time or another, that we have all been conscious of our own sin before God, that we have determined in ourselves to do better, but then continually we've failed in our efforts. And eventually we come to the realisation, don't we, that we can't do this by ourselves, that we need someone outside of ourselves. We need someone who's stronger, someone who's purer, someone who's full of grace, someone who's more glorious. We need Jesus to forgive us and to impart to us, to come in and radically change our wretched state if we are ever to become a righteous and just person. Well, for Luther, God in his, in his grace, God revealed to Luther the good news, the gospel about Jesus. And as Luther was actually reading, he was seeking God, he was reading through the book of Romans, which in that time would have been in Latin. As he was reading through the book of Romans, he, was, he came across that scripture that we had this morning, Romans 1, 16 to 17. So Luther's eyes fell on these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. Well, at that moment, suddenly, light burst upon Luther and a weight was lifted from his shoulders as he realized the righteous do not live by striving. The righteous do not live by punishing themselves. The righteous live by faith. Faith in God's power through Christ. He was transformed. Now here's the thing. All Christians must have this kind of Luther experience. We all need to have the light turned on for us. So we can see that being righteous in God's eyes and finding true life is a matter of trust in Jesus who he is, what he has done. It's got nothing to do with who we are or what we have done. And so, we come to our scripture this morning in 1 John 4, 14 to 19. Here in this passage, it's almost like the author here, John, is writing to the striving Luther in all of us the one who's scared witless, trying to please God through trying as hard as he can because this passage is about the peace and reassurance that we have in Christ. 
that our sins are truly forgiven, and that our destiny is absolutely secure because, because we can rely on God and his love and his faithfulness. The emphasis here is clearly upon God's love. Let me read it again to you. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So like the verses that Luther read in that first Romans passage that we, we looked at in Romans 1.16, John's opening two verses here, you can look at it, read along with me please, um, as we look at this, um, John's opening two verses here testifies to the good news that the Father has indeed sent his Son to be the Saviour of everyone who confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, resulting in God abiding in them, which results in them abiding in him. Now I want to pause for a moment here and just ask a question before we continue looking at this passage. Just have a think about who is this person who wrote these words that we're looking at here? Who's this person who's being so confident about God and about who Christ is and what he's done? Well, scholars agree this person John is the son of Zebedee. He's the very same John who was one of the first apostles, one of the first disciples, handpicked by Jesus himself. He's not only the author of this little letter and another of couple ones, but he's also the author of that big gospel book of John. Now, on one hand, you might think that this John might be the last person that you would want to be speaking to someone like Luther because this John, you might remember, was actually nicknamed the Son of Thunder in Mark 3.17, probably because of the time when he wanted to call down fire from heaven on judgment upon people, which is recounted in Luke 9.54. And you might remember, well, if you've got a son of thunder who likes to call down judgment from the, from the sky on top of someone who's a bit afraid of being struck by lightning, this might not be a good combination. But on the other hand, of course, John is a perfect person to speak to Luther about knowing the love of Christ because this guy really knew Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He experienced his presence and this is so vividly expressed. If you turn back a couple of pages um, from where we are now to the opening of 1 John 1, 1 to 3, you can see this guy knew and experienced and lived with Christ. He says, 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life which was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So this is the same John whose intimacy with Christ can be seen at the Last Supper when he's reclining next to Jesus and even leans back close to Christ's chest. And if you ask John, John, who, who are you? Who are you really, John? He would say, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. You can read about that in John 13, 21, 25. So John is well qualified to teach us about Jesus Christ. So let's return to our main passage now. Verse 16, I think, is a key verse, and I want to major on it for a moment here. 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So here is a declaration of faith and trust in the amazing love of God to see us through all things. John here is saying that Christians can really know and importantly rely on God's love for them as his son and daughters evidenced by and because of Jesus. For the Christian... As it was for Luther and for us who are Christians here, the turmoil has ended. The lightning storm has passed and there is peace to be found in trusting in God's love. You are no longer under God's judgment. You are now under his fatherly care. Such a difference. Pointedly, verse 16 continues by saying, God is love. I remember when I was first a Christian and I went to a university in Melbourne called La Trobe University and I wasn't sure what to study and I chose this strange subject called philosophy. And uh, I remember my philosophical lecturer um, talking about this verse um, because what we did, we did a, a unit called God and Rationality. It was to teach us logic. And the idea was, is it rational to believe in God? Well, yes, it is. Um, I don't think he believed it. And I remember him saying, the idea of God is love. He, he said, I don't understand that. That makes no sense to me. But here, to me, it makes absolute sense because it is who God is. He is the initiator. He's the source of love. The idea of loving sacrificially and faithfully and savingly, it comes from the essential nature of who God is. And remember, of course, God's love is personified in Jesus. People often say, you know, gosh, what does God look like? Well, he looks like Jesus. That's what he looks like. In abiding in love and in God, we are abiding with Christ. 
And our, this is really important. Our connection with Jesus is very close and very, very real. And you can see that because just a couple of verses up from where we're looking at now, in verse 13, John writes this. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. You see, we abide and we are in union with Christ through the spirit of God himself. So we have a direct divine connection. He is somehow... He is with us and within us. And this is why, isn't it, that we now desire to live not for ourselves. We want to live for God now. and We want to follow the example of Christ. Our hearts are changed from within, from being that unresponsive hard stone. Our heart has changed to being soft hearts of flesh in keeping with what the promise of the new covenant is in Jeremiah 31. We take in the love of God. And it overflows out to others because we've been changed. You're changing the inside, it makes a change on the outside. The Spirit then is a seal that we have been given, that we are truly saved and need not fear the judgment to come. And if you look at verses 17 and 18 in our passage, you can see that this is what John's message is here. John declares that we are being perfected by the perfect one. That makes sense, doesn't it? That, you know, whereas before we were being infected by sin because we looked elsewhere, now perfection comes through our connection with the perfect one. And that we might have boldness as a result in the day of judgment because we are so encapsulated, we are so identified and wrapped up with Jesus. As he is, so are we, it says in the scripture here. That doesn't mean that we are God-like. It means that our identity and our righteousness and our hope lie in Christ himself. You know, the love of God in Jesus Christ for his own takes all before it. And that is why, continuing on now with verse 18, that there is no fear in love, especially the perfect love from the perfect triune God. You know, there is no place for fear of judgment for the Christian who is covered by God's love, God's commitment, and God's faithfulness. We don't have trust in ourselves, do we? We don't have confidence in ourselves. We have confidence in God. It's a good place to put your confidence in. You don't have to be afraid of punishment or torment. It's already been dealt with. The saving love of Jesus towards his saints versus any fear that those saints have of final judgment, these two things are actually mutually exclusive. I have the mental picture of like a you know, the magnets with different polarity. They kind of repel each other. Because Jesus' salvation is so complete and perfect. The salvation we have is complete and perfect. I mean, can Jesus do anything else but do things complete and perfect? 
You see, such fear only comes about from being afraid of punishment, which comes about, what? Well, from being judged as guilty. But those who are in Christ Jesus, it says in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation. So the verdict's in. You're innocent. There is no condemnation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's not dependent on me. But because of Christ's righteousness, I stand justified. The last part of verse 18 recognises that for those who do have a genuine fear of judgment upon them, the problem is that the full love of God is yet to be revealed to them. They need to be released from that fear, just like Luther was released from that fear when he understood the gospel, the good news, and he put his faith in Jesus and he received the Holy Spirit and received the love of God. Of course, the problem that some of us have, and I had this problem, I struggled with this for a long time, the problem that some of us have is we have a hard time receiving God's love. Some people carry a hurt which has made them so defensive about trusting anybody. They've only seen rejection and unreliability in people. So it's very hard for them to trust anybody, let alone someone that they can't see, that it seems to be so far above them and so different from them and removed from them in history. Other people hate themselves. They refuse to believe that God could love someone like them. Only God's spirit can correct these distortions because only he can open their eyes to the truth. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? Those who are on the side of truth listen to me and the truth will set you free. See, when you open your eyes and you see Jesus and you see truly, and then you see yourself in the correct light, suddenly things become clearer and the response you have is just, just to worship him. God, how, how is it that you, how is it, God, that you chose me, you accept me, I've got nothing of value, and yet you did. And our only response is just to say, thank you, God, and worship him. Because the Holy Spirit can soften the hardest of hearts. The Holy Spirit knows the key to unlock each one of us. The Spirit alone can penetrate into the deepest of marrow. Now finally, I would like to focus on the last verse in our passage, which has been a home verse for me. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. You know, Luther famously admitted uh, before he was freed that... uh, Rather than loving God, sometimes he wondered if he actually hated God because he only saw God as a lawgiver and as a judge, someone who was ready to condemn him at any moment. He only saw him really as something to be afraid of. So you can see why Luther struggled to receive the love of God and tried to earn his way somehow. Well, for me personally... I struggled with Deuteronomy 6.5. As I was reading through the scripture, I was so, when I became a, a Christian, and I was so keen to learn because I hadn't been to church. My family were not 
Christians. We never went to church. And so I thought I had so much to catch on. So I catch up on. So I grabbed the Bible and I started just reading it. Well, it just made sense for me to read from the beginning. So I just started reading. And I came to Deuteronomy 6.5, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I went, oh. And then, of course, Jesus reaffirms this declaration, you know, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. So uh, I couldn't pull the, oh, that's just the Old Testament trick. That trick never works, by the way. I was scared because I struggled with the question, well, do I? Do I really love God with, with everything that I've got? I was not convinced that I did. And I suspect that I'm not alone, that some others have wondered that question. Now, in one sense, it seemed unfair of God to apparently wanted to command some kind of emotion out of me. And I know that that never works. I found out while courting my wife, I wasn't able to command her to love me. It took a bit more than, than that. Uh, so, on one hand, you can't just work up an emotion, can you? It's not, I mean, God can see through all of that. He's looking for genuine, real stuff, isn't he? God's into real, real, genuine. The heart, isn't it? It's the heart. That's kind of what happens, isn't it? In the Old Testament, it often talks about you trying to uh, uh, control your behaviours and actions and to do things in the proper way and make sure that... You, uh, uh, you follow the law properly. But of course, the real issue is the heart, isn't it? And that's why in the New Testament, he says things like, in the old days you heard this, but now I tell you, what's going on in the heart is really where we're at. We're talking about the heart. We're getting to the root of the problem. So we can't just work up a, an emotion, but on the other hand, we don't want to give God nothing at all. And for me, I remember watching John Piper give a good illustration of what this is all about. He described how a man might sneak up to his wife with a large bouquet of flowers. My wife, she likes purple lilies, so that's what I would go for. And so I would go up to the door with my bouquet and knock on the door. She opens the door and she gushes and she says, Christopher, you shouldn't have. And I respond with a Dalek kind of response. It is my duty She probably won't accept my love offering. So we can't fake it, but we can't go to God empty-handed either. So what are we to do? Well, the thing is, of course, that we're not talking about fleeting emotions here. We are talking about a lasting devotion. And this verse we love because he, because he first loved us. Help me to understand how we get there. And the idea is foreshadowed earlier, actually, in our passage. First John's like that. It's kind of circular. It comes back around to stuff. And this is what happens in this instance. Actually, in verse 10, a couple of verses above what we're looking at, <coughs> John says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So... God loved us when we had no love for him at all. 
And he proved it by giving that which was most precious to him so that I should live being united with him forever. And you know what? I couldn't have cared less at the time because I was so dead in my sin, living a self-centered life, and I was blind to it all. And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans 5, 6, 10. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The point is this. We don't have to hype up love for God or even we don't have to hype up love for other people. This is not about pretensions. We're talking about a response to the revelation of knowing and accepting the reality God loves us, proven by his one and only Son, who freely sacrificed himself for our guilt, and of course by his continuing faithfulness to us, interceding for us even when we fall short and fall. I love God because he first loved me. Even when I was such a hopeless and I was desperate, I was undeserving and I was unworthy. And now I know I really was. At the time, I thought I was pretty good. I wasn't. And I'm so sorry that I was selfish and arrogant and ignorant. But my desire now is to repent of all of that. I've changed from all of that because I'm so grateful that he had regard for me that he now calls me his son and I rely on his love to get me through because because he loves me in spite of my failings my devotion and love for him grows and this is the gospel this is the very good news and it is really lovely So to come to a conclusion, of course, there are many, many applications here. Maybe you have a fear. Gosh, I'm, I might be subject to judgment. Maybe you carry a conviction or an awareness of your sin. I remember when it happened to me, I, uh, I didn't even know what the word conviction was. But suddenly I just realized I did silly things that were wrong. Uh, the one that comes to mind, is, uh, uh, which I often tell, is when I was living with some guys and uh, we used to share the fridge and someone had bought some sliced ham and I just helped myself to the sliced ham and then suddenly I was just guilty. I thought, I just stole someone's stuff. And I went up to uh, my housemate and I said, man, I'm, I'm sorry, i just got to tell you, I, I just stole some of your ham. He said, Chris, don't worry about it. It's just a slice of ham. It's not a big deal. But yes, it is. 
But it's not the amount, is it? It's the issue that somehow I just decided that's, that's not mine, but I'm going to take it anyway. What was going on here? Well, I'll tell you what was happening. God was showing me that I was in need of him. That there was something wrong in me that was twisted and contorted. And that only he could straighten out. God was showing me that I needed him, his power and his love. And if you feel the same, what this means is, is that you may well be on the cusp of knowing him and knowing freedom. Freedom from shame and guilt. Pray to the Lord. Ask his forgiveness. Tell him that you need him. You need him. You need to be saved. You want your life to be changed because you've realised that living life your way doesn't work. Or maybe you find it hard to receive God's love. You know, God has got you this far. And I can tell you, he will be faithful to complete the work that he has begun in you. If God says he, love you, he loves you, who are you to say that he's made a mistake? While you continue to read his word, hear his word being preached, meet with other Christians, hear their stories of development, and in prayer, in meditation, and in praise like we had this morning, God's spirit is at work in your heart and in your spirit and renewing you day by day. Just think of the goodness God has and that God is bringing into your life. And as he reveals himself more and more, as he did with me, I can tell you that your response to him will grow accordingly. I've heard it said that you become what you behold. That's why Paul says, you know, think of the noble things, those praiseworthy things. Or maybe you struggle showing love to others. As you remind yourself of the grace and the love that he has poured out on you, his faithfulness and perseverance towards you, and you realise that everybody else is just like you and needs the same encouragement and understanding that you've received from God and from other people. And even more than this, we're exalted, aren't we, encouraged rather in, in Matthew 25. Jesus says that every act of love and kindness we do to the least of these it's like we're doing it to him. So if you've received any benefit or any comfort or any kind of good thing from God and you want to show your thanks and gratitude to him, be kind and loving to somebody else. Jesus really loves that. Well, as you know, Luther survived that lightning strike. And actually there were many subsequent threats to his life as he went along as there was the tumultuous change, as the Reformation progressed, and he was challenged. But he lived quite a successful life, and he married a nun on the run. That's an interesting uh, story. He married a nun on the run, and he lived a relatively long life. But, of course, the truth is that nobody knows what time they have or when lightning will strike. And this came home to me afresh last year when a member of my family and also a wonderful colleague that Paul Pomeroy knew as well in the seminary were both taken by cancer. But death is a part of life. The struggle for assurance of salvation is not uncommon. 
amongst Christians. But it is an important issue, I think, that needs to be settled so that we can move on and grow in faith and not be held back by doubts and especially not to be bullied around by fear, which is the nature of fear. It tries to bully you into submission. We can daily grow in the revelation of God's love and because God's word is truth, as the Reformation affirmed, we can trust the promises found in here because they are from God. The Apostle John's insights that we've been reading here this morning were inspired by God himself. So Luther's example of seeking God through reading the scriptures is a good one to follow. And he was rewarded by it. Yes, it's appointed for all of us to die. But I think it is clear from scripture and from what we've even looked at today that God clearly desires his people to have a certain assurance of his love and his promise of salvation. We are to live in God's love and in confidence that we are in union with Christ through his Holy Spirit. And that is why with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.55 we recognize that death has lost its sting. It still hurts. We still grieve. But it has lost its sting. We no longer fear judgment because now we have peace and fear has been cast out. My final remarks are these. When we know the love of God, we know the peace of God. We live in the love of God and we share the love of God. Remember that John testified in that key verse, verse 16, that as Christians we know and we believe on the love that God has for us to deliver us from all evil, even the evil within ourselves. And remember that while we were yet sinners, that Christ first loved us through his son, the Lord Jesus. And this is why we Christians respond and become devoted to our God and why we love him with our heart and soul and strength. And it's why we're going to give him glory and worship, which we will do now together as we come to a conclusion after we give him a prayer of thanksgiving for the encouragement and the word that he's given us today. So let's pray. Our Father God, we we are humbled afresh that you in your magnificence and your high place, as Philippians says, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped of, but made yourself nothing and poured yourself out to come down to our level to be able to not only give us a model of what life, a good life is, but also to show us and to show John what real love is as well. To show us what God looked like in a sense. And of course to deal with sin, to cast out and to undo the work of the enemy so that you might redeem for yourself a people based on your mercy and good pleasure and for your glory. And Lord, we don't understand why you've chosen us and not others. 
But Lord, we're thankful and grateful. And Lord, we, our only response is, God, we worship you. And God, we want to be good and faithful servants. So Lord, change us, we say. Change us, God. Increase us in our capacity to be loving and to represent you well to a world that is in darkness and confusion, who don't know the left from their right, from their boy, from their girl. They are so confused, God. They need us to represent you to them, to set them back on the right track that they might be able to repent and receive the good news of the gospel. Lord, we want to see more brothers and sisters converted and come into this place here. Father, bless this house and bless these people as we take on the reality and learn to receive your love more. Let us be able to let it flow out of us in gratefulness and sincerity of heart that there might be many, many more who come to be sons and daughters in this place. And in Jesus' mighty name, we give you glory and worship you. Amen. So we're now going to sing a great hymn in Christ alone which is on page 44, number 160 in the red songbook. So please stand and join with me as we sing together with gusto and worship to our God this great.